I think if you're always chasing the trend, eventually you're just out of business. This is Sue Freck, and I'm your host of the Happy Marketer Connection podcast brought to you by Vesta. Each week, along with my guests, other fellow passionate marketers, we'll explore engaging and inventive marketing strategies and toast brands making impactful consumer connections. Please kick back, relax, and join our happy half hour of marketing inspiration and positivity and come away a happier and smarter marketer. Creativity is this week's theme, but a really different type of creativity than you might be thinking. So as you know, this podcast is called The Happy Marketer Connection, and although this week's guest sits right outside of the marketing world, he is most definitely a creative. His creativity is the key to his success, and as marketers and entrepreneurs, there is no guaranteed success in our line of work, whether we launch a new product or campaign or even a new business venture. But creativity can certainly help us break through and is oftentimes the key ingredient to success pun intended. Chris is certainly an entrepreneur and most definitely has to innovate to stay ahead of trends like so many of my listeners. Please join me in welcoming this week's guest, Chris Teaglin. Chris is a heavy metal guitarist with a theology degree. He also has experience cooking at Michelin-starred and James Beard award-winning restaurants. He is currently part owner, chef, and creative director of two very successful and fan-favorite local restaurants in Colorado, just outside the Boulder area. So please join me in welcoming Chris to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Happy Marketer Connection podcast. I'd like to welcome this week's guest, Chris Teaglin. Chris is the co-owner of Community and Birdhouse, two local restaurants here in my town, one in Lafayette near us, and then one in Erie, Colorado. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What I love about the podcast is all of the people I get to speak with, and I think you have one of the most different backgrounds from anyone I've spoken with, so I'm really excited that you are my first guest from the restaurant industry, <laughs> and uh, I love getting the behind the scenes. I always talk about the Oz, you know, pull the curtain back, uh, although your kitchens are right out up front, so there's nothing to hide, but... I would love to talk about the beginning. You know, you have two very successful restaurants here in Colorado. They've been written up in several places. What role did food play in your life growing up? Sure. I think the biggest thing, it maybe didn't click when I was a kid, but that was definitely my mom's love language coming home. And there would always be some kind of snacks. Or uh, if I had a bunch of kids from the neighborhood over, my mom would definitely, you know, try and feed everybody as much as she could. And it was kind of this joke, I think, when I went to school of like how many pancakes or whatever kids could eat at my house on the weekends. And even like my brother bringing his fiance to the house for the first time. And it's like 1 a.m. at night. And my mom whips out this like five course meal for her. <laughs> <laughs> it was something I just saw. She never like uh, not so much went up. It was just like, I love you. And here's these other things. But she was always going to make a meal for you. I think that just kind of stuck with me as a way to take care of people. I love that. So it wasn't at a very early age that you knew you wanted to be in the restaurant industry. You know, what age was it or what moment that, and we'll talk a little bit about your earlier career. Man, well, I think it now too, it kind of makes more sense. Like I think a lot of kids got off the bus and ran to watch Cartoon Network. I ran home to catch Alton Brown and different things on network. Even when I was super little, I was always fascinated by it, but never thought that's what you do as a career right more of a hobby <laughs> or a hobby yeah just as fun something I enjoyed but I think really set in when I was banking 
and I, it was such a stressful job. And there'd be days where the only thing I had to look forward to was getting off of work to go home and like cook dinner with my roommates or make breakfast burritos or do something like that. And they had pulled me in the office one day and they were like, Hey, you know, like you're doing great. And I was getting promoted pretty fast since I started. And they were like, where do you see yourself in five years? And I I think looking back on it, it was more of like, how do we get you to stick around forever? And that was the day I quit. Just the thought of being there for five more years was such a nightmare. Honestly, I used to have these dreams about being in prison and I looked it up later and it was when you're stuck in a non-creative environment, if you're a very creative person, you'll have these reoccurring dreams of being locked up, kind of. So That's wild. Yeah, it was the, all the most bizarre dreams. So I, was, I kept waking up nervous, like I was in prison, in prison, in prison. And ever since that day, I have not had that dream again. But I used to have it once a week, once a month. So yeah, I quit that day and started making really cheap $3 breakfast burritos and loading up a cooler. And I would go to construction sites and auto uh, shops and just sell what I could. And I paid my bills like that until I started working in a restaurant. That's amazing. So it was your creative outlet. And I know earlier, or maybe even you have time now, but you played rock guitar. So that was your creative outlet growing up. Is that right? Oh, 100%. Much like my mom, where I was saying I wasn't really good at telling people (laughs) how I felt. Uh, (laughs) I could write music or do things that made that easier. And I still, I thought, too, maybe that was it. I liked cooking as a hobby. I thought I was going to be a rock star for sure. And (laughs) spent a few uh, years living in grungy vans, eating cold SpaghettiOs and things like that with all my little rock star bandmates and <laughs> realizing we were no money. Eventually, I kind of gave up on that. But uh, it definitely meets the same needs, I think, between cooking and playing music. It's very similar, kind of an outlet for all those creativity, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes so much sense. And, you know, when you were in a rock band, um, I read an article, you said that fronting a band is similar to leading a kitchen. What did, what did you mean by that? Oh, yeah. It is kind of like eerily similar in ways or how, how much these two careers could be the same. But when you're in front of the kitchen, you're kind of orchestrating all these different stations uh, to do things at the same time. So you have like a saute station and a grill station and the broiler or flat top, like all these different parts but if you kind of pictured it like a band where you have like your drummer and your bass player guitar vocals all this like you have to be there getting it all done at the same time and in unison otherwise it's not going to be very good Uh, I think it's kind of funny how much those are the same yeah that is I would never would have thought of particularly you were playing like heavy metal music (laughs) and that's not the vibe I get from community and from birdhouse your two uh, local restaurants here so I think that's really interesting but that goes back to I thought your background from the first time I met you was so interesting you have a degree in theology you played you know rock guitar and then you know we're in the banking business and and then now obviously two very successful restaurants why the degree in theology I think part was I just needed a degree. Like my family was so big on you have to graduate and you know, you can't have a career if you don't have a degree, which I mean, maybe it's true for some businesses, but now I'm like, I really didn't need to go to college. But uh, <laughs> I think it was something that interested me enough to stick it out and finish the four years. But uh, I thought there was something to it of just helping people with that degree at some point, whether it was led to counseling or something I think that just kind of steered me that way as much as I see now that 
I can help people just by making them food. But that was, I think, the motivation behind it for a while. Yeah, I do think it's so interesting, particularly like I've got three younger children. My oldest is 15, but she was saying to me the other day, you know, I don't need to go to college. If I'm doing what I love and I'm passionate, aren't I better off just getting earlier in my career? And we talked about sort of some of the things that happen when you when you go to school, but it's true, you know, not every industry. I mean, I'm in tech and software and so many people have not gotten a four year traditional degree. Obviously, they're edu- well educated and super smart. Um, I, when you think about theology, though, you know, you, you've talked about you take care of people. You know, you make really, mm-hmm. really good food, but you take care of people. So where did that come from? It's definitely both. I mean, I guess first and foremost, it's the staff. You want to make sure everybody's uh, respected and taken care of, whether it's just financially or if they just need an ear for the two minutes before their shift to tell you about what's going on outside of work that's your first one. You need to make sure they're happy and, and doing their jobs and that they want to be here. It's such a big thing. Uh, a lot of restaurants don't retain people. Uh, so we try really hard to, if we have good people that we want them to stay here as long as they are happy here in that process though, what they all enjoy. And you'll find a lot of times cooks and stuff were kind of, it's really easy for us to hang out with each other and not always easy for us to hang out with everybody else. Cause we're a little goofy that we decided we want to sit by a hot flame all night instead of, talking to people <laughs> but <laughs> we let taking care of people or like the idea that you came to the restaurant to have a special night or if your friends are visiting or family you wanted to bring them here you wanted to sit down and have those two hours with them like so much of our just nature as humans is sharing a meal with each other so we love the idea that we could facilitate that for people and I do love when it's an anniversary or anything extra special that they would choose us to be a place to come and celebrate but even just the day today to hang out with your friends. We want to make sure that you're making those connections with people here. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I frequent your restaurants often. I was actually at Birdhouse both Friday and Sunday of this week, and I was laughing that uh, now your staff is starting to recognize me. Um, I I, I do love it. And and you're right. It's just such a welcoming. The staff seems so happy. And so many of my listeners are marketers, but that that lesson translates. Like if you have a happy team, they are going to deliver a great product and a great service. And I certainly see that. Um, I've been to Birdhouse more than community, but I certainly see that in your restaurants. So let's talk about Birdhouse. You opened a restaurant in the middle of a pandemic. Obviously it was planned before the pandemic. What was that sort of process like? And really like, what did you go through thinking, oh my God, I have to open a restaurant when people aren't even allowed inside? Yeah. Oh man. I remember a day uh, where Scott is, uh, Scott's my business partner and we had these like final loan papers we had to sign. And it was while this was all just like shut down. And I was like, I can't believe I'm signing my (laughs) life away right now. having (laughs) no idea if we can even serve people or not, but we were so far into it that there's really nothing else to do. It was pretty terrifying, honestly, for a while, a little sleepless nights for a couple of weeks. But I think we've been very fortunate that we can do at least some limited seating and we have outdoor space and thankfully ramen and tacos are both really great takeout yeah, foods, I true. guess. So <laughs> we can look out that anyone that's still not comfortable uh, getting outside their house, they'll at least come pick something up or order it online. So yeah, I think we've been just super fortunate in that. And it's been very successful. Um, were you surprised at the success or... I mean, obviously great planning, perfect location. Was there a little, like, you could sleep at night at least? 
um, I think we, we did, at least on the kitchen side, what, what I know more and, and Scott uh, handles a lot of front of house things. And I got very lucky with a really solid chef team and they love what they do and love being there. And it, 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 it's, it's decently busy more so than I think than I expected during all of this going on. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's kind of nice to know that you can still do something well during uh, the whole earth falling apart and yeah. happened. So for it's, sure, it's been awesome. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I, I, yeah, I think it's I'm so, so appreciative of the work that goes into opening of the restaurant, but then in the middle of the pandemic. So I'm so pleased to see when I, when I go, I have to make a reservation obviously, and, and your tables are full and I love that. So Creative inspiration, the theme I'm talking about is creativity. And obviously you have so much creativity with your, with your menu choices. Where did ramen, ramen, tacos, and rum come from? Where was that idea from? Oh, honestly, that was, uh, so I had, <laughs> I was living in Chicago and Scott called and had talked about me coming back to Colorado and kind of partnering up on some of these things. And he had pitched that idea, like he loves the rum ramen you like tacos and like originally we were thinking of it as like two smaller restaurants inside of one restaurant and how could we make that work or is it like you do ramen and then your tacos are also like a kind of asian style thing so it's all similar or do we just do two authentic things really well and it just makes no sense <laughs> but it does make sense i guess when you're there and i, I think that's kind of uh, he kind of left that up to me, I guess, on how we're going to do the food exactly. I think he had the vision for it originally. And I was like, let's just do really, really cool ramen and really, really cool tacos. And I think in my ideal situation, you would get a few tacos as an appetizer and then get a bowl of ramen or some of the shared plates and kind of try a little bit of everything. But there's going to be plenty of people that don't like tacos and plenty of people that don't like ramen, but hopefully they like one or the other. And I think that's what kind of works or I even picture going to dinner with my wife every time, like, where do you want to go? I always want noodles. She always wants Mexican food. So maybe we'll start a trend of places that do both and we'll always have a place to go. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So talking about trends, I was going to ask you about that. You know, a lot of my other guests um, are entrepreneurs themselves, work in marketing, and we see certainly see trends in marketing and advertising. Are there trends you're seeing in the restaurant industry? Is it like every 10 years or is is there something that inspires the trends that you're seeing? That's a good question. I think it's kind of where you are, I think as part, and I'm, I'm sure there's definite like buzzwords or ingredients or things that really take off for a year and like everyone has it on their menu, but I guess getting to live in two different States in the last, you know, couple of years, it's kind of funny is that you see a lot of similarities in the same cities. So everybody had like the same kind of beet salad or <laughs> certain ro or like roasted carrot dish or things like that. And, th and they're delicious and they're awesome. And I'm sure some people do it better than others, but there's kind of this thing of you expect to see this on everyone's menu. And then as a chef, you're always left with, do I give the people what they want? And like, Am I just making something just because it's popular right now, mm -hmm. which isn't bad. I think lots of times I have more fun of if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it a little different and I'm going to make sure it's a lot better than all the other ones I've had, or at least I'm going to try and make it better than the ones I've had. But I, d I don't think you do super great trying to chase those things. It's 
you know, if the farm had beets right now and they sent them to us, sure, we'll put a really cool beet salad on. Or Brussels sprouts are always super trendy at a lot of places, and they've been on the menu here since before I was here. And we just found a way to tweak them a little and not do what everyone else does with them. And I think it works really well. But yeah, it's definitely, I think if you're always chasing the trend, eventually you're just out of business because you're not leading anything. Yeah, right. You're a me, a me too. There's nothing unique about you at that point. So where does your creative inspiration come from? And are you, I'm sort of two questions in one, but are you the ultimate tester for tastemaker for the food? You know, is it your say at the end of the day, or do you trust a team of people? But where does that creative inspiration come from? Oh, yeah. I think it's weird. I have like just bizarre dreams almost. And these weird times where I'll just wake up and have to write an idea down of just could this work and then I'll have to spend a couple of weeks researching or just testing small batches of things to see could this actually be a reality um, or would this even taste good together those types of ideas but I think that just comes from maybe reading older cookbooks and seeing how you could update something or again just making it your own and part of it's maybe just being around other creative people or just listening to music and just hearing how far they're willing to stretch an idea and what they're reaching for and how that inspires me to rethink like oh I made this dish and it's really good yeah. uh, but is it awesome you know right. how can I how can I shake it up a little bit so I think it's that it's just never settling for this is okay like if something's going to stay on the menu for a while it better be like really damn good yeah <laughs> and I think kind of what we strive for and in that like I'll always kind of have the last like say on something but I do have a few people on the teams that really want to create and get there and um, some are super good at it and some are younger and really eager to learn more and more but we'll just test stuff until it's great but it's a super fun thing for me too to kind of see how they're visualizing a dish or what ideas they have and then how can we make it work and still kind of fit our style and so it's, it's definitely not just me but it's nice that I can have my days to come in and just try 20 different things and kind of <laughs> we find what we like. So I love that. I love that. Well, if you ever need a tester, call me. <laughs> I do love your food. <laughs> so what about um, you've worked with many, obviously very well-acclaimed chefs across your career. I read that, you know, James Beard award-winning restaurants you've worked with Michelin star restaurants. Is there a mentor that you had in your career growing up that's, you know, in the, in the, culinary world that inspired you do you think it's you just had this innate talent and someone else brought it out or do you think it's something that was also learned I'm just trying to get just like your core of of who inspired you I think there was some sense of it was just natural uh, gifting like that I just understood this or grew up around people in restaurants and kind of understood it enough but uh my one that after quitting the bank or whatever and taking those three months off the first place I walked into was to serve tables just to make money while I was finishing my degree online. And it was a winery that had a restaurant and like a little event center, but they split their kitchen and let a catering company use it. And that was black belly at the time before they opened their restaurant. So that was uh, Hosea Rosenberg was running that. And I, I had no idea. I just knew that this guy won top chef. You know, and I, I, although loved watching Food Network shows, I had never seen Top Chef at that time. I just knew it was a competition show and that it was kind of a big deal that he won and yeah. kind of went to him and was like, hey, man, I'm only working a few nights serving, but like I've 
messed around in the kitchen and I was like, I think I like learn fast and I, and I'll work hard. And he put me like on a station that night at a, we did this huge event where you were like cooking in front of people while they walked around to different kind of things. And as far as I know, I didn't completely screw it up and <laughs> I think it went pretty well. And then he just kind of kept inviting me to more and more. And he had a, like a, his number two chef guy there ended up being one of my best friends. And uh, he also just kind of saw that I just had like a natural instinct for it and would just give me cookbooks or things to read and just always kind of challenged me to learn different things. And I, I think there was like a moment when I was like super young in my starting, you know, I want to cook now where Jose had told me, you know, there's some people that have worked for him that were 50, this, that, and the other. And he's like, you're way better now than they will ever be. Yeah, that's awesome. Take that and like run with it kind of. And it was like the first person that kind of told me like, you belong in the kitchen. So I think that was just like enough positive reinforcement for me to keep plugging away at it. So. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I've talked to so many people on the podcast episodes earlier where they each got a break. Like they, they look back on their career and there was that one person that just sort of took a little risk with them or even a big risk. That was their break. And they, they really say that that was that moment. So I'm sure it was something along those lines for you. Do you feel like it was a bigger risk leaving banking, a stable job versus opening a restaurant in a pandemic? Like which, is, which one caused you more angst? Probably, uh, I, don't, well, I don't know. I think there was more relief leaving the bank than pressure opening a restaurant. It was definitely stressful, but I was like, at least even if we just can't hire anybody and it's just me and my wife knocking out breakfast burritos, at least I get to cook food and I'm not dealing with people's finances all day. So yeah, yeah. At least you're happy. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's what matters at the end of the day. Interested in building a home for your audience? Our Vesta solution powers online communities, giving your consumers a home for a world of engagement and connections. To learn more, visit us at vesta-go.com. You said something about tweezer chef. What is a tweezer chef? I never heard that term before. I think the nicer the food gets or more fine dining. We have these little, there's all different sizes and for different things, but like tweezers that you plate things with. And it's, I think they just all, in certain restaurants, you move really, really fast and it's more, it has to taste good, but you're really busy and, and you got to get as many people fed as fast as you can. And that's a very different style than the tweezer chefs are. You, you have 40 people maybe for the whole night, or maybe it's more, but um, you can take a little bit more time with everything. They're paying more for the experience than to get them out. And that's, it's not like necessarily a bad term, but I think when somebody leaves a job like that and then comes into a very fast paced kitchen and they start pulling out the tweezers and people are like, just put that away, dude. Like, you don't, you don't have time for it. <laughs> I love that. Looks nice without it. So, and I've gotten to work in both worlds and they're, they're both fun for different reasons. So. But, but you prefer the world you're in now, I would assume. <laughs> yeah, I, I like a little both. Maybe one day we'll get to open a, a spot where I can be a little more tweezery again. So. <laughs> I do. I mean, I, I don't know if you were picking out the, you know, the presentation is so important, but I love the plates and the dishes that you have at your restaurants and the uniqueness, particularly birdhouse. But I think the presentation, mm -hmm. even though not using maybe the tweezer, but is certainly impeccable. So I, I will give you kudos for, for that. I found a way to do it fast and make it, make it look good still. So we were pretty happy there. 
Yeah, yeah, you've definitely achieved that. Has there ever been a dish that you thought was amazing and then failed and had to come off the menu or vice versa? You're like, you know, I'll throw it on. Some people like it, not for me. And it just did phenomenal. Oh, man, definitely the one. We did this like mushroom dish last year that it was like super Mediterranean style. And we had this like charred radicchio on there and all the cooks like loved radicchio. And I think at the end of the day, I just, I think cooks like Rudy, most people don't like Rudy Hugh, and that's the, <laughs> everything. like, oh, it's bitter. And it's like, oh, it's supposed to be bitter because all these other things are sweet and it kind of balances out, but nobody got it. And after a couple of weeks, I just pulled it and I was so bummed because it was one of these ones that we all just were like, man, this is so amazing and delicious. And, and this is hard. I'm still learning this, like as a chef that sometimes there's things that I think are really cool where somebody walking in might be way happier with just a cheeseburger and that's okay too. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, when we can open doors to trying new things, that's great. As long as it's maybe not everything so approachable as I think it is. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's funny. That's a great story. Also example. Do you pay attention to reviews, Yelp reviews or TripAdvisor? I don't know what, what other reviews your restaurants might be on. I know they're certainly on Yelp because I've written some for you. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, I mean, we definitely do. I think a lot of people will love like five-star reviews. We get, we get all these five-star reviews and like, it's definitely nice because to know that people are liking it, but you don't really pay as much attention to those as when it's a four or a three or if it gets any lower than that, you're just like, what the heck happened and how do we fix this? So we, we definitely pay attention. And I will say to be super honest, like sometimes it's very warranted where maybe they just, their section had an off night and they missed something or they ordered something and it, it came out of the kitchen with whatever modification they wanted. It wasn't right. But sometimes people are just brutal. Oh, I know. I know. And it's so hard and you want to just write back and just be like, Hey, that's totally not fair. Like it's not my fault that you, you don't like anything that we like anything. You're, yeah. You don't like rum. You like this. Like, why'd you come here then? Right. Right. <laughs> but it just seems like, those ones are the toughest to swallow because you just want to like print it out and put it at every table and just be like, this isn't cool. But I, I do think you learn a lot more from the ones that are genuine. Like, Hey, I just had a bad time. And you're like, okay, well let's reach out to that person and get them back in, but find out more like what could we have done? What was wrong? And uh, how do we avoid that in the future? And I think that's where good like front of house management comes in is hopefully if like I said, there's always going to be a day, no matter how great you are, there's, there's always going to be a time where something didn't go right. But uh, the more often that you can just go to every person and just try and check in and just be genuine and be like, what, what was good? What was bad? Um, and correct anything that might have been bad before they leave will at least help you a little bit more on those reviews, I would assume. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I yeah. think that there's those extremes. People tend, you know, maybe not to look at the ones or the fives, but certainly, you know, the ones in between. And that can, <laughs> the constructive criticism can be helpful for you. I know it is for our, our business, certainly. So I just have one last um, question. Do you have, this is called the Happy Marketer Connection. Is there a funny or a positive story or experience or something that happened along your career that you can share with the audience today? Anything? Yeah, I mean, I think, just positive story. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of funny ones, but uh, the things that just stick out to me the most, and I, I've mentioned it to you, I think in previous conversations of just, or even in this one, we're talking, just taking care of people with food. And uh, we brought up the pandemic and how crazy all that was, but something that was really cool before we had opened Birdhouse, so when it was just community during all of this, 
we're like, hey, we have this extra food coming in right now. We kind of switched to just like a fast food kind of takeout, obviously takeout only or pickup and delivery. But uh, we still have the extra time to do something with the foods in our walk-in and the things we had in the freezer and any pastas and dry storage stuff. So we did a, a like kind of pay it forward program where people could purchase a meal for four people and that went crazy here and I thought that was the coolest thing to see is that in the midst of all this terribleness going around that the whole community around us and or the whole community around community <laughs> really chipped in and we were doing hundreds of meals a week amazing amazing off, yeah at a sister Carmen in Lafayette which is like a little food bank and just to be something else for I'm sure a lot of restaurant people and stuff needed just a meal some weeks because they lost a lot of jobs so just to be able to supply something that was homemade and not out of a can and and doing that but it's something that we still do now there where we'll offer that on the takeout menu if, if you want to you can throw a few extra bucks in and we'll make some food and we'll drop it off and I, I love that about this place so that's I think one of the most positive things I've seen this year so that's awesome. That is a great story. And like, you know, everybody I've been speaking to, friends, family, podcast guests, just trying to find something positive. It's the reason I started the podcast to begin with. Um, I was having yeah. these great conversations, just trying to, I was home more. I'm not traveling, just reconnecting with people. And I said, gosh, I could turn this into a conversation that's being recorded and, and turn it into something. But I love that story. And I think when you're talented or you have resources or you can give back um, in a really authentic way, I think that is just incredible. So I want to thank you so much, Chris. I know you're super busy running to restaurants um, that are phenomenal. And anyone local to the Boulder and Erie Lafayette area, I highly recommend you try Community and Birdhouse. But is there anything else you want to share with the audience today? Oh, man. You just love people. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Take care of the people around you. I think that's, that's really all I can share. I don't have a whole lot of uh, wisdom, but I, I think that's good enough. <laughs> I think that is good enough. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for your time. I will hopefully see you in uh, one of your restaurants in the next coming weeks, I am, a, as I mentioned earlier, a frequent guest because I l absolutely love the food. But I do appreciate your time and just a different perspective from some of the other guests I've had on my podcast. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Chris, for sharing your stories, your wisdom, and of course, the behind the scenes look into your restaurants. To hear more stories and lessons from Happy Marketers, be sure to subscribe to the Happy Marketer Connection podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To learn more about community building, our Vesta solution delivers community-powered marketing to elevate your digital presence, deliver predictive insights, and transforms your consumers into lasting brand advocates. And I welcome you to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Sue Freck, or find us at Vesta-Go.com.